Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, today we've got Matt Manzer back on the podcast, and he is here to talk about ski boot suspension with me. So that is what we have on tap for you today. We'll explain kind of why we're doing this. And uh, yeah, that's what we've got. And it's another good one with Matt. Now, before we get started, for those of you who maybe have not yet had a chance to check out our brand new Blister Mountain Bike Buyer's Guide, you should check this out. You can find it for free on our website. It's really good. The feedback has been kind of amazing. We're super psyched that so many of you have found this thing to be really helpful. And the other thing I should say is a lot of people have been asking if there is a downloadable version of this guide so they can print it out. And what we are doing is we have made a downloadable version of our mountain bike buyer's guide available to blister members. So if you are a blister member, go check your account and you will find a link to be able to download the guide there. And if you're not a blister member, well, holy cow, what an ideal time for you to become one. Become a blister member. You can download this new bike buyer's guide and get access to our bike and ski flash reviews, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you can get our personalized ski and bike gear recommendations, which everybody just keeps telling us, honestly, we should be charging way, way more money than we are currently charging for those things. So, you know, take advantage of a really good deal. So anyway, that's that. And now let's go ahead and get to another conversation with Matt Manzer. Here we go. Well, Matt Manzer, it's you again. How are you today? And where are you today? Hello, Jonathan. Nice to be back. I hope no one's sick of me. This is, I think, my third time this year. But uh, yeah, I'm doing well. I am in Austria, in Caprun. Just got done with a, a fun day at work and thought we could talk boots some more. Apparently, we can always talk boots some more. Um, (laughs) Well, just to, you know, catch up on some current events stuff, a couple things. First of all, you recently had a birthday. So, you know, happy birthday. birthday. Thank you very much. Yeah. I am officially on the wrong side of 40 now. And uh, if that's a good thing or bad thing to be determined, but still feeling okay. Mentally, I'm still probably in my 20s, but... Maybe yeah. it's a bad thing. <laughs> you know, and I will say, this is probably an important thing for us to touch on. Uh, you did mention things did get a little, you know, festive this past weekend. And so some festivities. some listeners will be happy to know. Others might be sad to know. This is not going to be one of our whiskey infused conversations. One, because you just kind of went big for your birthday and two, because I'm currently trying to take as much Tylenol and Advil as I can, given my recent wrecking of myself. So uh, we're going booze-free this episode. This is, uh, yeah, we're booze-free. We're just going to see how that takes us. When That's going to be new. Um, but uh, yeah, I needed a couple days to recover. 
Luckily, Monday was a holiday here in Austria, so I could use that to my advantage. And um, as you just mentioned, you took a little bit of a tumble. Yeah, I did. Stepping out of the shower or something. <laughs> wasn't wasn't stepping out of the shower. I was. Uh, I am currently like I'm waging a bit of a war. You know, on the one hand, there's just the sheer anger of this stupid crash. And on the other hand, I'm trying to counteract that anger with gratitude because this this was a pretty violent crash. And so I think we should always have like some gratitude, like it absolutely could have been worse. So I'm, you know, there's that the the war between anger and gratitude and or this sort of, you know, embarrassment and gratitude. Embarrassment, frustration is probably in there too, and that cocktail of emotions that you're feeling. That's right. And, uh, but yeah, as I was telling you, like, I like if you're going to blow yourself up, be doing something cool at least. Whereas like I was just, I had, you know, done my go-to kind of after work ride and, you know, like ridden through all the technical sort of interesting stuff and was literally on just like a straight line single track back to the road like the ride was over <laughs> the ride was over except it wasn't over the the listeners can't see us obviously but i'm i'm trying to hide my smile this is just this is always what happens you know there are those glorious crashes of you tried to clear a 30 foot gap going 80 miles an hour that's this was 1% not percent of crashes is like a good story yeah. Most of the time it's on a straight, simple something. Yeah. And honestly, you were telling me about one of your own crashes, and this has actually gone a long way toward making me feel better. Because I, I mean I you know, people I think I've talked about it before, one of my go to rides like after work, we're still waiting for some trails to melt out up on the mountain uh, in Crested Butte. But uh, so like normally I'll pedal up and, and do like either an Avery to West Side to Happy Hour to Upper Loop down into town and then pedal back up. Um, this was just Upper Loop to Tony's. And um, yeah, I was just on a like, sh- I was going fast, but it was literally a straightaway, literally a straightaway. I guess caught like that front wheel slipped a little and I just did this sort of violent quasi Lincoln loop or shoulder roll to the ground with immense force, which was enough to break four ribs, split my helmet in half. Yeah. I tore two ligaments in my AC joint and yeah, and uh, have a pretty bruised ego. And but you were telling here, me... And you're still doing this today. <laughs> you talked yeah. about Gold Star Troopers in the last podcast. I think mm, you're going to did for this. Oh, I'm getting a Gold Star? <laughs> Sweet. But you were saying that you, like, you were, like, telling me a story. you just gotten done riding, I think, L- Leo Gang? Do we say Leo Gang, Leo Gong? I always say Leo Gong. Now you're going to make me mess it up. Leo gang, like Leo gang. Leo gang. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Leo gang. Okay. That's probably how the tell tell your goes. story. Anyway, yeah. So um, around me, I, I ride a lot of downhill. I used to race not well, but went fast. 
And a lot of my friends race World Cup at, at some level, you know, they're by, by far way better than I am. But trying to keep up with people like this on a consistent basis, especially now that I'm on the wrong side of 40, is a little tricky. And a couple of years ago, you know, one of the really cool things about Atomic, besides Atomic, is that Schladming is 20 minutes down the road, like one of the most epic places to run a downhill bike. And I survived all the steep gnar in the trees, came out and was on this little fire road, just getting back to somewhere. And okay, you're these are the moments when your mind just you kind of click out because okay, you're trying to just get your breath back, your heart rate down. And I was just literally sitting on my seat going really fast on this fire road, kind of getting back to a certain spot. And I went down so hard. I don't know what I hit, just as this loose gravelly stuff on this access road. And I didn't even get a chance to take my hand off the handlebar. I just went down, like right into my shoulder, elbowed myself in my ribs. I didn't break anything, luckily, but knocked the wind out of myself, scraped up everything, you know, and was just had my bell rung. And that's, I, I don't fall a whole lot, but when I do, it tends to be substantial enough where I just, I had to pull off and just, one, figure out how to breathe again. And two, just make sure, you know, you do damage report, like just go top to bottom, like, is everything working still? You know, because I have broken some bones and the worst thing you can do is kind of, the adrenaline's pumping from your crash. You just kind of get back up and like, okay, dust myself off, laugh it off and go hop back into it. And if I'm at least aware of, hold on a second, you know, my mom is a nurse. She's taught me to at least do, she knows I'm going to crash, but do a damage report and figure it out before you get back on and really hurt yourself kind of thing. And uh, yeah, luckily I didn't really break anything that time around, but man, it's these on a fire road. Yeah. Just took me out. Yeah. Like making it through the World Cup track, no problem. But the fire road is what did it. And that's just, that's how it goes sometimes, you know? People tearing their ACLs, getting off the chairlift, not on a super narc who are or whatever. It's these stupid things that just lay people out. And that just seems to be the stories. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not this heroic, epic crash that was an amazing feat. Nope. It was right over there on the easiest part of the whole track. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've taken a lot of solace in that story. Um, <laughs> You're not you know, alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like feeling slightly sorry for myself, I'll admit. But, uh, you know, these these things shall heal and it'll be fine. But uh, apparently we, sh- we should only ever ride super gnar stuff. And, and skip fine. all, yeah. yeah, that will be totally fine. And just skip all easy single tracks and fire roads. Now, the business for the day. Hmm. We, not too long ago, published a Gear 30 episode. I think we gave it the title of the Mount Rushmore of Ski Suspension. And you sent me a text not long after saying, you know, we could definitely have kind of a parallel conversation 
about this with respect to ski boots. And I thought, you know what? I sure feel like the world has not heard me and you talk enough about ski boots, so we should definitely have this conversation so as not to deprive, you know, the world from more hours of us talking about ski boots. So we should do this, and here we are. We're doing this for the world. This is for the world. You're welcome. You're welcome, planet Earth. Yeah, so I don't know. I'll let you kind of start. When you listen to that conversation about ski suspension, go ahead, like kind of uh, open open the conversation for us. Maybe we'll just start with what did you mean when you thought there was an analogous conversation there? Yeah, so obviously the the concept of suspension relating to skiing is something we've talked about and you've talked about other people quite a bit recently. In for good reason. There's a lot of good parallels between a suspension metaphor uh, from a bike coming over to, to skis or boots of just trying to absorb the terrain to just so the, the skis and the boots can function better kind of thing, you know? And when I was listening to the ski conversation, you know, I was like, all the words we're talking about in terms of damp versus plush suspension, etc. this can come over to the boot world in a, in a, a meaningful way. And I thought this would be a, a pretty cool thing to talk about. We've touched upon it um, on the, the summit call between myself, Tor, and, and Stefano. Yep. A little bit that kind of came into there. But I thought like maybe there's there could be something more to kind of just dive into and just see where this goes. Because, you know, when boots don't have the right suspension... You know, you, you notice that like a, when a ski does not have the right suspension or if it could be overly damp, you know, are, are these things that does this make sense to talk about in terms of boots? And I think we could just kind of explore those concepts and just uh, and see what kind of hashes out, because I think there's there are those conversations that make sense for a ski uh, as well as a boot. And one of the things that kind of I think I, I messaged you was that I, I definitely think there is a a difference between some like, like damping or damp versus plush. Those aren't really synonymous with one another. There's definitely a difference there. And you know, obviously because we're we're bike nerds, one of the things I was kind of thinking of is you know, as we get closer to the, the Leo Gang World Cup that's gonna happen in a couple weeks over here. So like the first real big downhill mountain bike race. Aaron Gwynn kind of pops to mind and how, how he chooses to set up the suspension on his bike. And if anybody's not familiar with that, if anybody hops on Aaron Gwynn's bike, they're like, dude, your suspension is so firm. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you ride this thing? It is, it is, there's just lots of dampening happening with suspension, but nobody would call it plush. Mm-hmm. Like nobody would call his bike plush, but it's damp. Like the suspension is working. You just have to be going 400 miles an hour and smashing into rocks for it to work right. Yep. And I think while we don't have, you know, damping circuits on skis and boots as of yet, um, or maybe ever, there is these, there are these parallels that kind of make sense. You know, there is a compression setting to your boot. It may not be adjustable, but it is within a very small range. 
there's also a rebound that happens there. And yeah, just, it really got me thinking, okay, is, you know, what ski boots are damp? What ski boots are plush? And what boots are neither of those kind of things? And I think you, if we really wanted to, we, we could kind of categorize boots in, in similar ways like that. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, I think so. I think that drawing a really hard distinction between damp and plush can get tricky when like in terms of the example of Gwyn's suspension, that makes sense. It's really not plush in any sense. It's also though actually not damp until you are absolutely raging. Mm-hmm. Right. It's going to be the dampening comes in when you hit that rock garden at the speed of sound, basically. But if I'm like doing my scared rock garden riding, I'm going to probably feel like I'm actually on a hardtail. Right. Yeah. Um, So I think this is going to get you know, properly complicated if someone is like, okay, so you guys are trying to say dampening and plushness are two different things. Give me an example of that in a ski boot. Mm -hmm. And that to me off the top of my head is like, Ooh, okay. So I don't know. I'll volley it back to you. Sure. If, if we want to start talking about specific ski boots or types of ski boots, where do you think we could best sort of draw a distinction between damp and plush? Mm Mm-hmm. I think it'll definitely have to come back just in general stiffness of the boot at some point. I think that was kind of one of the things you mentioned on the ski side is that suspension and stiffness are somewhat related. There's there's totally. a correlation there. Yep. So if I think of like one of our plushest boots, like the Hawks Prime 90. So hmm. if you have a guy's boot here, 90 flex, it's a full PU boot. PU shell, PU cuff, but I can put that boot on with almost no hands, like just stepping into it. And when I buckle it up and flex it, I would probably call it a marshmallow. You know, that it's very plush. It's still progressive. It's not a linear, nothing's changing when I flex this, but it's, it is just so easy and noodly compared to what I would be in normally so i would say in my world of atomic boots that would be a very plush boot and if i think of the exact opposite i have to go think of a world cup race boot so like a redster ti 150 and people like well how do how is anybody comfortable in this stiff of a boot and this is exactly what you were just mentioning with aaron gwen hitting a rock garden at mach 2 the boot doesn't come alive until you strap a huge ass ski to it and just point it straight down the mountain so that there's lots of forces that need to be present for the boot to behave the way it should. And suspension on a car or bike is totally similar. You know, if I hop on Aaron Gwynn's bike or Greg Menard's bike that are set, you know, with almost a hundred PSI in the fork, I'm not going to have an enjoyable experience. I'm not confident riding that fast to make that bike behave the right way. 
Yeah. And the same thing if I were to hop into Marcel's TI-170, like, an even stiffer booth that I just mentioned, like, I got no prayer of having fun with that boot. And it's not because the boot's not damp. It's just so stiff that it requires a lot of force to make the boot feel a certain way, you know? And those racers will tell you, you know, if I were to hand Marcel a 130, we're going to go do a casual photo shoot. He's like, I don't want to even ski that. It's like me hopping into a 90. You know, I my legs are very far from tree trunks kind of thing. I don't have the strength, the mass, or the technique to be able to flex a 150 boot sufficiently kind of thing, the way a Marcel could. And there is a, a correlation, a relation between a boot's stiffness and its suspension and the forces you as a skier are applying to that boot. And when you line up all those things, then you're going to have a good idea of the distinction between plush and damp, I think. We have a couple favorite principles that, again, people who've been reading our reviews for some years and listening to our podcasts, you've all heard me say this like a thousand times by now. But, you know, we talk about on the ski side, it's like if you want to figure out the fast way to try to get into the ballpark of creating a ski that is going to have like pretty nice or really nice suspension. I talk about this all the time. Go pretty heavy with the ski and don't make it crazy stiff, you know? So like a not crazy stiff pretty heavy ski is going to like get you fairly close or be in the ballpark. And I can say that simply after having tested hundreds of skis a year for over 10 years now, right? Like that's just what we consistently find to be the case. So I guess if we're trying to figure out how well the parallels hold up here, do we think the same can be said for ski boots? If we are taking a ski boot, frankly, whether it's a touring boot, whether it's a dedicated inbounds, you know, boot with a riveted cuff, if we're going fairly heavy, relatively heavy, and not making it crazy stiff, well, I guess I'll just say, I would say, yeah, that is a formula that still holds in terms of ending up with a product that would create a boot with at least decent suspension and possibly really good suspension. You agree with that or where would you push back? I would generally agree. And and you you see it when a you know I think of a brand like Atomic that has very heavy boots on one side, you know, Redsters are almost two and a half kilos at some point. Yeah. And the exact opposite, we've got a backland ultimate that weighs seven hundred grams. Yeah. You know, there's definitely gonna be a, a point where weight matters with suspension for sure. And not just weight, like the simple on the scale, simple weight, like what I'm trying to say is the weight has to be distributed in the boot the right way. Same with a ski. Like if, if I had a 1000 gram ski, but I put a, a kilogram weight just in the tip, I have the right weight, so to speak overall, 
but the weight's in the wrong spot, you know? Um, so pure weight, I would say, is less important than where the weight is, maybe, if you kind of have to kind of parse down and get down to the, the heart of it. So when you look at a boot construction, a lot of its mass tends to be in towards the sole, of at least the shell. It's a lot of wall thickness in the bottom of the boot, and it progressively gets thinner as you get up towards the top where it overlaps, right? The thinnest part is the overlap of the boot, typically. And the thickest part usually is underneath the foot. And when you look at how to make a boot ski well, have good damping, have good suspension, at some point you will cross a line where you either took out, to get lighter, you took out more material than you should have, for example. Or at some point you're saying, well, this is what really matters, like a backland ultimate. Like suspension doesn't really enter the conversation for that user. Weight just takes over for them. And, but for most of the stuff that we would be talking about, interested in skiing, me personally, like I honestly have very little interest in skiing an ultimate besides just kind of checking it off the list of, okay, I did that next. <laughs> and <clears throat> you, you see that, yes, there is a certain weight that makes sense in a size 26, for example, you know, there is a certain weight that will make sense and there will be a certain stiffness that makes sense for a guy my size as well. And so, you know, that kind of, for me, I've found that to be the Goldilocks for me so far is a club sport 130. For me, that boot for a resort boot, even if I'm just hiking a little bit like that to me is just my perfect boot that I've found. It has the right stiffness, the right damping, just the right ability to just mute out every little bit of terrain that's in the way and just plow through stuff like my downhill bike. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I can just literally point it at things and know, well, that's the kind of boot that's just going to survive anything I throw at it. And, but I also know there's a compromise with doing that. It weighs 2.3 kilos. Yeah. You know, in a 26. So I'm definitely spoiled where I have the boot quiver kind of dialed in. You know, I don't think many people want to put up with having a boot quiver. It's just, it's hard enough to get one boot to fit right for people, let alone three or four. So I totally understand why some people want to have one boot do a lot of different things. But if you are able to do this and you're lucky enough to, to have a quiver of boots, having a boot like a Redster style boot is awesome in its right application because it gives that, that level of, of damping, of suspension, of, of power in a certain trade-off set, a certain set of compromises. It's definitely less nimble, it's less agile. You lose a bit of just pop and liveliness with those boots sometimes, just like in skis, you know? Yep. So it yep. just kind of depends what you want to prioritize and pick as saying, this is the, these are the top three, top five things that are really important for, for my skiing. And that's what I want in my, in my boot. I want that in my ski. There's a lesser extent to a binding. It's actually got into discussion about bindings with people recently 
but this, it's more about skis and boots. Very few people test bindings to find the right binding for them. Say more about that, meaning the the right feel of a binding. And just to be able to say what a binding feels like. Sometimes you know, to them and their goals, for sure, but I think very few people have skied the same boot with the same exact ski and or 10, 10 of the same ski yep. with 10 different bindings, meaning the binding is the only variable that changes. Usually it's just brands like Atomic or Marker that do this kind of stuff. You know, like, like, or, or us, or Matt. Or you guys. Yeah, we did that. <clears throat> we took five of the exact same ski, mounted it yeah. with five different... Uh, five different, but actually, I mean, then we added others. So I think we probably ended up doing seven, seven or so different bindings on the same ski. And it's super eye-opening, super eye-opening. It's, it's, you don't think, you, you don't really appreciate how different each binding skis until you do that exact test where people can hop on different skis with different bindings, but that's just, there's too many variables at play, especially on system skis. Because that's mm -hmm. that's the binding that comes with that ski. It's really hard, so it's really just it ends up being kind of a flat ski test that you can do. But when you do it, and people tend to be like, "Oh, I I can barely feel the difference in skis." Well, if you take away all these other variables and just focus on just testing skis and just testing bindings, most people, if you're a decent skier, and I don't mean expert pro level person. Just you have enough technique and ability to to feel these differences, you'd be surprised how how much a binding changes how a ski feels. And I never did that honestly until I started working for Atomic. It's just you, you take it for granted. Like oh, I'm I've always been skiing an STH or I've always been skiing a a Royal Series style binding, and it's just one of those things that people tend not to try tons of bindings once they find one they like so they don't want to mess with it but when you do at least just for the the scientific experiment of just seeing how that affects the feel of the ski or your skiing experience it's a really tangible thing and yeah yeah it just tends to be either a brand or like a like blister would do this kind of thing average you know ski demos kind of thing this isn't really a thing you can can do typically it's pretty hard the one thing, just to try to keep things as clear as possible for people, I will say that, because if somebody's listening to this and being like, oh my God, so you're telling me now that there's going to be a massive and radical difference in feeling if I put uh, an STH2 on my ski versus a look pivot versus a, you know, a marker jester. I will say, this is just just my experience, and I would say that I think Luke Kappa agrees with me on this. I would say that from our experience, we do actually ski a number of different alpine bindings. And I personally feel like I can click from a, say, Tyrolia Attack 13, go into a Jester, go into an STH2, go into a Pivot. Personally, I can do that pretty comfortably and happily. Whereas, you know, people have heard me talk about the difference between going from an alpine binding to a tech toe. 
to me, that's a that's a bridge where we are now in a very different world. Once you put me in a good, quote unquote, good alpine binding from a, you know, a variety of brands. Personally, I do not want to give people the impression that I'm like, oh, it's absolutely as radical of a difference say going from a tech toe binding to an alpine binding, you know, when, if we're going from again, a pivot to a jester to whatever, that's just me. I mean, we've had conversations with Cody, right? Where Cody has been like, I just like the overall feel of like the shift binding or the warden binding better than like an STH two. And there I have to say like, that's Cody's thing. I think I could ski a Warden or an STH2 pretty happily, and I'm not going to be skiing with like, oh my God, the massive pronounced difference here. So just, just I just don't want to like, whether that's helpful or not, right? That's just, um, that's my take on this. Yep. I, and I don't want to make it seem like it's night and day difference, but you can, the differences are tangible. Yeah. They definitely don't mess up someone's day. Yeah. Between... You know, a jester and STH two. Let's just say, like it's, you can, you might, you'll notice that they're different, but it's not like you made a mistake. For example, kind of thing, going one way or the other. Or another way to put it, and I hope this is helpful for somebody listening. Like you're talking about the the club sport, the atomic club sport one thirty, skiing in that boot, which is a very good boot, skiing in that boot versus switching out and then putting on like an atomic hawks ultra mm-hmm. very 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 different feel totally. both both good boots and i can ski either of those boots but and i've said this i mean it's already on record but like the one of the most pronounced differences in those boots is one the hawks ultra is lighter but it's the speed of the rebound right like i've i I've talked about this in our reviews, like the whole Hawks ultra series. I think I wrote like, this is the first time I've ever been tempted to describe a boot as playful, Mm -hmm. a boot as playful. And it's just, it feels poppy. It feels like there's a faster springier boingier rebound in the flex of that boot. than when you get into something like, you know, a head Raptor 140 or a, a club sport 130, right? You, you're agreeing with me on this? I would totally agree. Yeah. And that's why we have both, to be honest. Yeah. There's a little bit of overlap for sure, but it's, they are very different boots. And there's yeah. a reason kind of both exist in our range and they don't, they don't really cannibalize one another. No, not, a, they shouldn't. They, they shouldn't, you know, like it's, there's going to be people who love one versus another. There's definitely people who don't ever want to put their foot in a redster. Like the Hawks ultra is my jam. That's, that's my narrow fit. Leave me alone. I'm happy. And there's other people that just want something different. And we got both. And that's kind of a, a good spot for me to be in that I can say, Oh, you want a light playful, you know, still PU, still a strong boot. I would say here's an ultra. Or is are you going to prioritize damping the ability to ski through a brick wall unscathed? Yeah. Here's your redster, you know. And there are those types of skiers. Both exist. Yep. That's why both boots exist. 
kind of thing. Yeah. We were talking about something the other day that I don't think is a very common thing for people to think about, let alone do. You were talking about the cuff of a boot and how we can learn certain things about if we are looking at a a Redster Club Sport versus a, a, a Hawks Ultra. There's certain things that a person can do like in a ski shop um, that denote some clear differences about how a boot is going to feel or perform. Talk a little bit about this thing we were talking about the other day. Yeah, totally. So it, whether in a store or if you're at home and you have two or three boots, even a touring boot, just grab two different boots kind of thing. And you know, definitely in one of one of our earlier podcasts where we went deep down the rabbit hole on plastics and flex, you can usually when you take the liner out of your boot, you can find a a what's called a cuff stamp or a shell stamp, like a some kind of marker that was put into the mold that tells you oh either you're PU plastic or PP plastic or PA plastic, and that's kind of like your first cue as to what's going on with your boot. But one of the things we do, um, especially when we get like new injections will arrive for us to test, for example, and before they're even mounted up, if there's just a box full of cuffs, loose cuffs, you can grab the cuff of the boot. You can roll it closed with your hands, like mimicking like you're buckling it up. And you can really force it tight and then kind of let go with one hand and it, it rebounds back. So you you can test the cuff's compression and you can also test its rebound and what that feels like. And if you had enough boots at your disposal to do this, whether you're I've got a few things in your garage or you're a, a shop employee, so you can just start tearing things off the wall and doing this tomorrow, um, you can feel that these different boots and you know, different flexes, different manufacturers, whatever, you got really different feels with how the cuff compresses and rebounds. And it tells you a lot about what it could ski like. It's not the end-all be-all, but it's definitely one of the things that, that, that we just do it when we get a new batch of cuffs, for example, um, especially if they didn't label them like PU or PP. We really grab them and say, oh, that's definitely a PA cuff. Look at this. It's very springy. Or this is a very soft PU. You know, it feels very plush. Like it's got a very soft, almost rubbery feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can do this trick at home and just grab your cuff, um, unbuckle it, take the liner out, grab it, and just wrap it with your hands, like close it with your hands and just see how much force it takes to do that. And then just let go of it. Don't drop it on your feet, but just, you know, (laughs) let go of the cuff and just see how one of the flaps releases and rebounds. And this kind of, if you have comparisons to make, this is where you can really see and feel the difference of, you know, rebound to at least a cuff, for example. So I think, though, this is where the whole boot part like boots and suspension boots are just more complicated things than skis right and so i think if we're trying to help people understand like so what are the ingredients 
to try to like create boots that have good suspension as good as they can be given with boots. We are, well, same with skis that we are going to have certain boots where we want to hit certain weight targets. Mm-hmm. Cause if you're going to go be touring long, long days in the mountains or schemo racing, like you need light cause it's gotta be low weight to, to move fast or mm-hmm. to move for long distances. Another thing that we have talked about on the ski side is like the lighter, we're going to go with a ski. I would really want to start backing off the stiffness of the ski. If we are going to try to keep the best suspension that we can make. And honestly, I think that's maybe a bit of a controversial statement. Like if we're going to make a ski that weighs 900 grams, like a really light ski, Man, if we're really dialing back the stiffness, then we might just pretty quickly get to a ski that is so noodly that it's just kind of unskiable on the other side. And we're going to have to, it's like, we're going to have to create a stiffer platform or it's just going to, it's going to literally be so noodly where it's like nice suspension, but you're going to fall on your face and like bend the shovel in half Right. And it's going to be an unskiable because it's just simply too soft and too light. And so I think maybe it could be the case on the ski side that if we're really trying to bring down the weight significantly on a ski, at a certain point, we just have to give up on the like nice suspension part of things. Talk about how you see this on the ski boot side. And part of that on the ski side is to reach certain weight targets. You just have, you're now in this material toolbox. Like there's yeah. certain woods, for example, um, or you're, you're not using certain fiberglass, you're using carbon, you know? So sometimes to hit these weight targets, your materials are also kind of stiff. It can be. I'm not saying always, but it's going to be pretty tricky sometimes to say, we want to go light and have a softer flex pattern. Um, me not being a ski engineer, I could be way wrong about this, but I know certain skis in our range, for example, like we have a Backland 85 UL. This is an 85 wasted ski that I think is like 900 grams. Mm-hmm. It's crazy light. Yeah. It is definitely not damp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Skiing this thing. It's also not super stiff from the last time I, I recall, but um, at a certain point, you're, you're, we said it before. You're just so light that damping kind of went out the window a while ago kind of thing. And the same thing applies to boots. When you really want to hit a weight target, especially in the touring side, okay, it's going to be a thinner wall thickness, so thinner plastic. And typically, also, it is going to be of a, a from a plastic family called polyamide, PA plastic, that is 25% lighter than anything else, but it's a very springy plastic. Like damping and PA just don't go hand in hand, typically, very generally speaking. There is damping there, but it's if you made the same exact boot with PU, you'd, you'd see a very different, you'd feel a very different boot at the end of the day. So, <clears throat> there's definitely this balance of what wall thickness you have and what materials you're using to arrive at the right level of damping 
and or wait for that uh, particular model that you're aiming for. And it's one of the things we did with Hawks Ultra in Generation 2. We said, okay, maybe we went a little too thin on the first round. We were maybe a little too obsessed with being super light. And some people were saying, well, if you're a strong skier, it's too easy to fold that boot. It needs to be more substantial. So one of the things we did in the second generation of Hawks Ultra is make it heavier. We mm-hmm. ha- we added wall thickness in certain zones of the boot, simply to make it thicker, make it stronger, make it more stable. We didn't change the material, though. It's still the same exact PU from Gen 1 to Gen 2, but it really is an exercise in, in wall thickness and analyzing, okay, exactly this needs to be one millimeter thicker here. Do it. And then it, it ended up getting heavier. And we're like, that's the compromise we have to live with. If we want to make the boot ski better, perform better, it is going to get a little bit heavier by something like 100 grams-ish kind of thing. Not the end of the world, but that's why. If, if somebody weighs old Hawks Ultra and new Hawks Ultra, the new one got heavier for exactly that reason. We wanted to give back some damping, some stability to the boot that, to be honest, we, we took out in Generation 1. And we knew, you know, thicker, heavier boots ski really well. Redster is a perfect example. It's way over here on the spectrum, though. So we wanted to kind of get, you know, really strike that Goldilocks with Hawks Ultra. And we thought we did it in Generation 1, and just, you know, enough people ski it, enough feedback is given to us. We're like, okay, well, to give the people what they want, we need to make it a little bit heavier. And to, But to your point, not lose those characteristics that made Hawks Ultra unique, a playful, agile, energetic boot. And we, we've got heavy damp already sorted <laughs> yeah, yeah. over here with Redster. You know, the three various Redster families that we have. And Hawks Ultra being that kind of lighter all-mountain solution, we still wanted to make sure it had a level, a sufficient level of damping, a sufficient level of suspension to it. And those things are always just top of the mind because when you're skiing, those things are super important. We're going to maybe call that good for now. This was not supposed to be some comprehensive, you know, handling of the topic. No, it was more than anything kind of to, to launch the, launch the conversation. And I I think we have, you know, done that. We opened the door to the rabbit hole. We have opened the door. I keep trying to think of the pool analogy. It's like the opening break. What do, what do you call that? Just we've, we've broken the set in a pool like pool playing pool oh i was like i'm literally thinking about no not a swimming pool man. a swimming pool and i'm like what the hell are you talking about yeah um, no oh man you know what's crazy there are no pool tables and bars over here i haven't played bar pool in like 10 years why is that i'm so bummed i missed that i never thought i'd miss it as much as i really do what is what does austria have against like billiards tables it's just the bar it's everything's smaller in europe right like the bars are smaller there's 10 <laughs> times as many people 
there's just nowhere you, you can put it anywhere. It doesn't make sense over here to have a pool table and a bar. They wouldn't have maybe, to do that. Maybe that's a business idea. There we go. You could open, you could open up the first bar with a <laughs> with pool, a pool table, table, one pool table in it, get all kinds everybody of... everybody would drive from miles around to come with yes. the pool table. Yeah. And yeah. I think what we're, you're referring to is the break. The break. Yeah. yeah, we have. Yeah. I don't know how to say use that like as a verb though. Or we have broken the pool table. We don't. We didn't we've break broke, the pool table. We've broken the pool table. We've broken the set. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what we've done. Anyway, we started the conversation about ski boot suspension. There go. We're gonna leave it there for now. Decent chance we you know come back and revisit it. There the could topic. be a part two. Yeah, but for now, let's like uh, let's move into our what we're celebrating segment. And it, now this part is a little inappropriate because again, there's no whiskey currently involved, but that's okay. We'll we'll get there. I think either tonight or tomorrow night, um, I will be uh, I will be making up for lost time. Yeah, I think you've you've earned it a little I've, bit at least. Yeah, <laughs> but um, what are you celebrating this week? Well, right now. Um, we're at the end of May and it should be bike season, but it's been actually quite cold. Mm. Um, the, I live just below one of the glaciers here and they've been just getting hammered with snow. So it doesn't quite feel like the start to summer that mm -hmm. we normally would have. Um, but I am so ready for bike season. I can't wait. So I will be... Uh, this week, hopefully, going down to the garage and just zaning out. Okay, let me say that again. Sorry. This week, I'll be going down and just like zenning out, doing some mountain bike maintenance. Just yeah, kind of taking some things apart, cleaning them, and getting ready for for bike season. So I'm I'm really excited to actually get out and ride. Yeah, but it's just been too cold and rainy and. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of over that at this point. Well, let me tell you where it's not too cold and rainy. Crested Butte. <laughs> <laughs> Currently beautiful and amazing. And the trails are dry and slippery, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> at least one little section. Um, I can, I'll tell you, man, I, uh, I had been super looking forward to the start of bike season. I was thoroughly enjoying the start of bike season and now I uh, I will just be jonesing hard for the restart of bike <laughs> season. Um, but no, it like it had all arrived. It is gorgeous here right now. More and more trails are opening up. So it was like the heaven of which you are pining. I had, <laughs> and then exactly. uh, <laughs> I had, and uh, we'll we'll have again. And you know, hopefully. Uh, I, I think I'm going to be on, I had a good conversation on bikes and big ideas with Carson Storch, mm -hmm. who was adamant about, you know, a very active form of injury rehab. And Carson, I'm using him as my excuse now, like get back out there as quickly as possible and I I might be on that program this time around. You know, like start with easy, like chill stuff 
and you know keep your speeds in check but i'm gonna be on a bike sooner than later in part because it's like it's too good right now and so you know just just keeping it it easy i'm gonna take it easy i promise i'm just on the carson rehab program okay blaine carson i hope hope that works for you it will. Really sure. <laughs> what could go wrong? Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, what I'm celebrating this week, in addition to the restart of uh, bike season, uh, I am celebrating, first of all, my good friend Sydney Dickinson, or Gimpy Sid, as she's currently going by, because she is dealing with her own injury right now. Um, but... Sydney was amazing when I messed myself up and was severely concussed. And then a couple of very nice mountain bikers who were in Crested Butte riding from Moab, they, uh, they found me laying on the side of the trail basically. Cause I was like, I just need to chill and lay here for like 20 minutes before I get back on my bike and like, finish out this trail and i was just gonna ride home and they were kind of like dude um is there like somebody you can call and that hadn't really dawned on me and uh so i was like oh yeah i just was hanging out with sydney and uh so i gave her a call and she was like oh you're a mess and definitely concussed so she's like i'm just taking you to the er room you know in gunnison and she she's taking great care uh, of me and another cool thing and i'm sure that many of you who live in mountain towns have this experience but when you wreck yourself in a mountain town i i i guess i won't generalize but i will say in my experience like the friend network has just been fantastic right and everybody kind of like launches into action and that's been super nice and i am so grateful for my friends who, you know, just kind of are like, oh, so-and-so wrecked themselves. What do you need? What can we do? You know, on and on. So feeling very, very grateful this week for, for good friends and uh, in particular, uh, Gimpy Sid as she's going through. And, and if you notice my Instagram handle, it is at least for the time being changed to Gimpy John. Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, thanks, Sid. And thanks to all the other good friends here who have... Uh, been keeping tabs on me and bringing me really good food. I'm eating better than I normally do. Um, that's good. good that's upside. good. Yeah. That's hey, been a nice. Find the positives here. You know. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> building in more time now for reading because I'm not like just running out. You know, running out to uh, to ride bikes. So that that's actually a discipline. Everybody knows. I've been talking about like that's just a discipline I need to build into my life and do a better job of that. And it's like, well. Uh, now you can. <laughs> now I now I can. I think God. I think God was like, "You moron! Can you just go back to reading books more?" And it's like, I've given you enough time. You have not done that great of a job at this. So, bam. <laughs> I gotta step in here and and that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, so anyway, those are the things I'm thankful for. Uh, thankful to have. Yet another good conversation with you, uh, you know, about ski boots. On that note, I think I'll let you get back to your evening now. Well, thanks again for having me. It's always a pleasure. Super fun. And I wish you a very speedy recovery so you can get back out there and enjoy your summer. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure I'll be talking to you soon. Sounds good. Take care, Jonathan. 
Well, that's it for this edition of Gear 30. Uh, Thanks to Matt, as always, for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. And if you are enjoying yet another conversation of full-on gear nerdery, or, you know, if you just want to maybe throw a little bit of thanks to somebody who is just coming off a concussion and is kind of still messed up, go ahead and drop us that five-star rating and maybe a review in iTunes. That stuff makes us happy. We always appreciate it, and it does help the cause. So, yeah, do that if you haven't already. And we will all talk to you very, very soon. Take care, everybody.